Hello, and welcome to The X-Ray. I'm Fernando Espuelas. First, let me explain what we're doing here. There are a lot of great podcasts, and there's some really great political podcasts, but we're doing something different. We're taking a different road. We're taking a fresh look at our political system. Introducing The X-Ray, a new political podcast about political power. Who wants it, who wills it, and why? A penetrating analysis of the biggest issues facing American politics. Interviews with power players, conversations with politicos, experts, and national journalists. And a special segment called X-Ray Vision, a fun exploration of the real person behind the political title. I'm your host, Fernando Espuelas, and I hope you'll join me every week on The X-Ray. For more information, check out thexray.org, and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The X-Ray is a project of Issue One. I'm Weston Womp, and this is Swamp Stories, brought to you by Issue One. In order to tell this story from the swamp, which I'll warn you on the front end, is the most complicated of the entire podcast, I'm going to reveal how Dark Money connects rough rider Theodore Roosevelt to a Grammy Award-winning rapper to a foreign billionaire pumping money into our elections. All in, we're talking about some of the swampiest practices you can imagine. It all starts in 1904, when President Theodore Roosevelt faced off with Democratic presidential nominee Alton Parker, who was a prominent judge from New York. Now, Teddy Roosevelt's face is literally carved into the side of a mountain in South Dakota, so some of the consequences of his landslide win in 1904 are obvious. But not so obvious is that what we now call dark money was born in this election. Wall Street picked Roosevelt as their guy. President Roosevelt was dogged by rumors that he had brought major CEOs into the White House to shake them down for campaign money. But it was a year later that a revelation from a New York Life executive convinced the American people that there was a real problem. Here's what happened. In a special legislative committee meeting in the New York Assembly, New York Life Vice President George Perkins acknowledged that a suspicious $48,700 expense from the company was given to the Republican National Campaign Committee for the 1904 election. Newspaper reports the next day said there was quite a stir in the densely packed room when Perkins followed up that, quote, we felt the assets of New York Life would be jeopardized by Democratic success, end quote. Adjusted for inflation, the $1.4 million that New York Life secretly gave to support President Roosevelt was basically the first dark money scandal in our nation's history. But Roosevelt responded by pledging his support for new legislation that would clean up money in politics. He even promoted a ban on corporate contributions. But over a 100 years later, Roosevelt's political party has gone eerily quiet when it comes to dark money. This is Episode 6, The Dark Money Shell Game. Dark money is not new. Throughout the 20th century, every loophole you can think of was used to circumvent federal election law, which since the days of Teddy Roosevelt has called for major donors to federal campaigns and political committees to be disclosed. 
But with every new tactic to evade the law, good government advocates have fought for transparency. Yet here we are in the middle of what I'll call the dark money era with record amounts of money flowing into our elections that we've got no idea where it's coming from. Beginning with Teddy Roosevelt and the election reforms that he supported after that 1904 election, over time, both political parties have generally come to agree on the merits of transparency in our elections. A good example of that is that it was John McCain who brokered the deal with the Bush White House to pass the first significant update to our nation's campaign finance laws in decades. And by the way, my dad, who you met in episode one, was one of the key Republicans whose support ultimately sent McCain's bill, better known as McCain-Feingold, to the White House for signing. Another important example, even in his defense of the Supreme Court's Citizens United ruling, the late Justice Scalia emphasized the importance of transparency in American elections. I think, as I think the framers thought, that the more speech, the better. Now, you, you are entitled to know where the speech is coming from you know, uh, information as, as to who contributed what. But almost no one on the conservative side has spoken as eloquently about the importance of transparency laws and the harms, frankly, of unlimited, undisclosed, independent expenditures as Kentucky's then junior senator in 1987. We require the reporting, so at least you'll know what's coming, what's being spent on behalf of candidates, the reporting of soft money. I might also indicate, as I did earlier, that I think uh, political action committees, which have been become rather controversial, uh, could also be eliminated. And the so-called independent expenditure, that's where somebody who has, for example, a huge amount of money uh, decides to come into New York and run ads against a candidate. Under the Constitution, you can't keep them from doing it, but at least we could disclose the content of the commercial to the candidate in advance and uh, disclose where the money is coming from. That's not currently disclosable. So there are some good campaign reforms that could be made. Times are changing, and not everyone is for transparency, this basic concept that we all have agreed on for decades, centuries. In fact, in Washington today, no one is as opposed to transparency in election reforms as Kentucky's senior senator. Here's his answer from just a few years ago when he was asked if there should be any limits on dark money. Is there any level of undisclosed spending in political campaigns that would make you uncomfortable? No. I think the fact that more people are speaking out is a good thing for America, not a bad thing. Now, if those voices sounded familiar, of course, it's because Kentucky's junior senator in 1987 is now Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. And boy, has he changed his tune. McConnell is now infamous for his opposition to anything that even smells like political reform, whether it's transparency measures or reducing the influence of big money in our elections. He even went out of his way to be the first person to challenge the constitutionality of McCain-Feingold. He wanted his name out there, up front, so the Supreme Court case would forever be known as McConnell v. Federal Election Commission. I'll let you draw your own conclusions on why McConnell went from this guy. You could not constitutionally say to a PAC or to an individual, you can't go into a state and make independent expenditures, that is, uncoordinated expenditures. I don't like those. And frankly, I would support a constitutional amendment to restrict those. To saying this about the Citizens United decision. I think it was a terrific decision. I don't think there's any uh, harmful consequences to come out of it. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a full 180. From being willing to change the Constitution to stop big money in politics, to now fully endorsing it. 
In order to take a step back from Mitch McConnell's Washington, I wanted to reach out to a Republican who would bring more of a mainstream perspective. And I thought of J.C. Watts, who in a lot of ways epitomizes the Republican Party that I grew up around in the late 90s. He was the House conference chair and one of the darlings of the Republican Party across the country. There's a side of me that says, I don't know why someone wouldn't want their names to be public to say, yes, I supported this candidate because he is a pro-life candidate, because he does stand for a balanced budget, because uh, he does stand for paying down the, the, the public debt. He does uh, stand for re- reducing spending and, and uh, eliminating the waste and the fraud and the abuse of government. Uh, yes, I am supportive of her because this is where she stands and this is where she stands on that issue. Yeah, I, that's why I give. As you heard there, J.C. Watts has no problem declaring his support for basic transparency. When I asked him about Republicans' tendencies these days to shy away from reforming dark money, he pointed to larger political trends that he sees underway in politics. That's the thing. When we get to the point that we play politics because it's the lesser of two evils, that is an extremely, extremely slippery slope because we have to recognize the lesser of two evils, it's still evil. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on, Dick Army used to say, if you go in business with the devil, remember, you're the junior partner. At Grace Covenant Church, where I worshiped in Virginia, the people that sat in the pews on Sundays at Sunny Lane Baptist Church, where I was a youth pastor for eight years, those people have no idea what 80% of the political process, how, how it operates. You know, politicians, you know, we've gotten to the point that we don't tell you what we believe about debt and deficit and, and why that's bad. And we don't tell you what we believe about issues. We tell people what they believe so they'll go and vote for us. And then, you know, we, we get in, get elected to office, and we don't try and clean up the process when it comes to the dark money or it comes to you balancing the budget. or, or I, I had a guy tell me once, he said, it's funny how people come to Washington thinking it's a cesspool, and after about six months, you think it's a jacuzzi. Stick with us. We're going to take just a short break. If you like what you've heard in this podcast, then you need to read The Fulcrum. It's the only news organization dedicated exclusively to covering the fight for democracy across the country, from gerrymandering and money in politics to voting rights, election security, and everything in between. Read their stories and sign up for their newsletter at fulcrum.us. We're back. J.C. Watts just explained what this series is really all about and why it's so hard to drain the swamp. In fact, I've found over many conversations with members of Congress and their staffs that very few understand how dark money actually works or even what it is. This isn't about candidates and their campaigns. Individuals and PACs that give to candidate committees have to be disclosed. That's not a question. Dark money today is fueled by powerful outside special interests, corporations, unions, large nonprofits even. They start these innocuous sounding groups like Americans Who Love America. And then a web of nuanced laws and weak federal enforcement is navigated by lawyers to allow all types of bad actors to spend in our elections without their identity ever being disclosed. So in order to test the theory 
that Republicans are winning dark money more than Democrats are. I went digging to understand exactly what the loopholes are in our system. I wanted to know not just how they're being abused, but who is abusing them. What I found was this. There are three vehicles through which money is being hidden from the public. So I'm going to tell you three stories to quickly illustrate exactly what's happening in order for dark money to enter our elections. And I'll go ahead and give you a heads up. The people involved in these three stories, they might not be who you expect based on the bigger narrative that exists around dark money. So the first of the three examples seems to always involve an LLC. And what I mean by that is that donors are using an LLC, each of which is going to be incorporated in a state like Delaware that makes it really hard to figure out who's behind the LLC. And so major political donors are using these LLCs to then give to super PACs or maybe even to give to another LLC to disguise who's really involved here. It's one giant shell game. So the only ones that know where the money's coming from are the donor, the outside group, and the candidate. But voters are left in the dark. You know, you wouldn't be crazy based on Mitch McConnell's absolute opposition to fixing any of this that the LLC transfer loophole was being abused by say, coal barons in Kentucky to fund Republican-led efforts to deny climate change or something like that. But the issue goes much deeper. It even allowed foreign money to enter our elections. Listen to this story from TMZ. They say that there was a Malaysian businessman who was funneling millions and millions into uh, the Democratic Party, uh, and his name is Jolo. And recently, actually just last week, Praz from the Fugees uh, was indicted, a four-count indictment against Conspiracy him. and all sorts of things, because he was supposedly an oper- allegedly operative, an operative of, Jolo. of Jolo. Right. So to break that down a little further, a famous American rapper, founder of the Fugees, gets to know a Malaysian billionaire named Jolo. And then in what sounds like some ridiculous Hollywood plot, the Malaysian billionaire gives money to the rapper, who then puts it into an LLC in a state where it's very difficult to figure out what's really going on, or at least to figure out who the owners are of the LLC. That LLC then moves money into a pro-Obama super PAC, which is required by law to disclose its donors. But all you see is the name of the LLC, and you can't really figure out who's behind it. But of course, all that changes if the FBI and the Justice Department get involved, which is exactly what happened in this case, and that's why we know about it. Now, I could give you dozens and dozens of examples of LLCs being used to hide donors or potentially corporations or other organizations that don't want their identity to be known. But they're not necessarily as interesting as the one that involves a Malaysian billionaire and a rapper. And it goes to show that foreign nationals can use this loophole to abuse the intent of our election laws. Now, the second example is actually a little more complicated, and it has everything to do with the part of the IRS code known as Section 501, which you've probably heard of a 501c3 and you understand what it is. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of a 501c4 or a social welfare organization. They're very common in Washington. Their intention was to be able to operate in a little bit of a gray area between a full-blown political entity and a tax-deductible nonprofit that does not engage in political activity. But as with almost all gray area in Washington, it is completely taken advantage of. And to get an on-the-ground perspective, I sat down with Open Secrets to learn exactly how this loophole is abused. And in case you haven't heard of Open Secrets, their campaign transparency work is like the holy grail of money in politics. 
They follow everything, and they've built a website that is an invaluable resource. Here's their dark money and foreign influence researcher, Anna Masoglia. 501c4s are prohibitive from having politicking as their primary purpose. They have to have social welfare. In many cases, they frame their ads in a way that comes off as educational, but when you actually watch the ads, it's much more clearly political in most cases. And a lot of the 501c4s they're spending heavily in those elections stick to language that comes right up to the line of saying vote for, vote against, paints a candidate in a very favorable or disfavorable light, but doesn't explicitly support them. But in some cases, that can be more effective. So here's the exact IRS verbiage on social welfare 501c4s. Quote, promoting social welfare does not include direct or indirect participation or intervention in political campaigns on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for public office. However, if an organization is organized exclusively to promote social welfare, it may still obtain exemption even if it participates legally in some political activity on behalf of or in opposition to candidates for public office. Political activities may not be the organization's primary activities, however. So, there you have it. Political activities may not be the organization's primary activities. So you tell me what you think about this example that comes directly from a story that Anna Masoglia wrote for Open Secrets about the North Carolina special election in 2019. A group called House Majority Ford, a 501c4, came in and planned $10.4 million of spending on Democratic races headed into 2020. Now, they were able to find that because of some budgeting information that had to be disclosed because of its 501c4 status. So when they match that up to the overall contributions and their overall expected expenditures, 94% of the money was going to be in advertising in congressional races. So they're not even trying to make it look like their primary activity isn't political. Before I move on to the third example, I've got to go back to 1987 Mitch McConnell. He was such a legend when it comes to reform. And of course, he had some interesting things to say about how these nonprofit groups were being abused. There are restrictions now on the kinds of activities that, uh, for example, the 501c3 and 4 organizations, charitable organizations can engage in that are being abused, uh, not just by people on the right, uh, but most of the uh, so-called charitable organizations who are involved in political activity in this country who are, in my judgment, involved in arguable violations of their tax-free status and violations of the campaign laws happen to be groups on the left. So that is a problem. Somehow, we've got to get this stuff in front of Mitch McConnell, because you can tell that 1987 McConnell was really bothered that the Democrats were beating the Republicans at these games. And I'm not so sure he's doing as well these days in the dark money wars as he thinks he is. But we'll move on. The third example, this final dark money vehicle, is probably the most sinister one. It's all about groups that hide their identities until after Election Day, using loopholes in how and when they report information to the FEC. They're often called pop-up groups. These groups are abusing the rules so they pop up, spend money in elections, and then disappear until after the elections. When they disclose their donors, voters are left completely in the dark. It depends on how you're defining that. The kind of 
I guess the emblematic pop-up group would be the groups that are gaming disclosure laws that pop up right before an election, don't even have to make any disclosures other than their initial registration to the FEC, despite technically being a disclosing group and disclosing their donors shortly after the election. But voters are going to the polls without knowing the information of who's funding them. A wild example of this being used comes from Arizona in the 2018 Republican primary to replace John McCain in the U.S. Senate. Martha McSally was running against two extremely conservative challengers. One was a local sheriff and a Trump ally, and the other was Kelly Ward, a Tea Party-oriented candidate. And even though Martha McSally was the frontrunner, these two were waging competitive races against her. From the Democratic perspective, Martha McSally was an incumbent member of Congress and a veteran. She was clearly the strongest candidate. For obvious reasons, they would have much rather had one of the extreme right-wing conservatives as their general election opponent. And so sure enough, in the last couple weeks of that primary election, an unknown group called Red and Gold comes in. And as you might guess, they were attacking Martha McSally. The best guess on the street was that this organization was supporting one of her primary opponents. Ultimately, Martha McSally did prevail. And when the final disclosure reports revealed who was behind red and gold, sure enough, it was Democratic donors from Wall Street, nonetheless, who were actually trying to take out Martha McSally in the Republican primary. Now, you want to talk about not operating in good faith? That would be secretly trying to undermine a candidate in the other primary than the party with which you're affiliated. But that's part of the lesson here. In today's dark money wars, honestly, nothing is surprising except that 1987 Mitch McConnell has morphed into a guy who doesn't seem to understand Republicans aren't winning at this. In fact, in my conversation with Masoglia, she cited a trend that has started to get mainstream attention the last couple years. We saw a very significant shift towards liberal dark money spenders. The top spending non-disclosing group in the 2018 election that reported to the FEC was a liberal group called Majority Forward that did not disclose any of their donors and reported tens of millions of dollars in spending in the 2018 election just on independent expenditures and even more overall. Because they used careful language and exploited some other loopholes, they were able to get away without disclosing any of their donors. Even with the FEC's new guidance that required any group that spends on independent expenditures has to report all their donors within a year, as well as any donors giving for political purposes, they simply said they had no donors who gave for political purposes. The Wall Street Journal reported in early 2019 that Republican groups were, in fact, outspent massively in the 2018 cycle by groups supporting Democrats. The data shows that 54% of dark money was spent in support of Democratic candidates, 31% in support of Republican candidates, and the remainder was spent more or less behind independent issue advocacy campaigns. Now, whether you like to admit it or not, There has been a conversation from the left side of the aisle about fixing dark money for more than a decade. So let's get this straight. Democrats are starting to win the dark money game, but they're for reform and getting rid of dark money, while Republicans in Congress are either apathetic or they're just against transparency. Meanwhile, there are Republicans at the state and local level working with Democrats to pass political reforms, many of which are bringing more transparency to campaign spending. And to be clear, there are Republicans in Congress stepping out on this issue, like Wisconsin's Mike Gallagher, New York's John Katko, and Florida's Greg Stubbe, just to name a few. I don't know exactly how to explain this, but I'm convinced that regardless of the reasons that most Republicans are staying on the sidelines, 
This matters to the cause of good government, and fixing it ultimately will help both parties. Really, if we're honest, the dark money element of this is only dark to the public, because when major donors come in, the candidate knows exactly who they are. And J.C. Watts points out that there's an inherent conflict of interest. Yeah, you have to recognize that when someone's investing in those deals, they're usually pretty selfish investments because they're saying it's all about protecting my deal. We don't care what it does to Western Wall. We don't care what it does to J.C. Watts. We want to protect my deal. Since Citizens United, Mitch McConnell has led my party astray with loose logic equating free speech and dark money, despite the Supreme Court's clear intention that there be transparency in political money. As a guy who's run for office, you should know who's spending in elections. Going back all the way to the days of Teddy Roosevelt, almost all Americans agree that who gives to campaigns and who gives to political organizations ought to be out there for everybody to consider. I wish there was an easy fix. I think that there's been a lot of progress made, but one of the things that frustrates me, as well as I'm sure a lot of other people in the government space, is that every time there is progress made, there's new ways to exploit loopholes in that. For example, with the FEC's guidance last year, groups saying that they just don't accept money for political purposes now, despite spending millions of dollars in elections and even on independent expenditures. I don't know if there really is one easy solution, since one of the things that has become really apparent with dark money groups is that they continue to develop new tactics and evolve in ways that even as we catch up with certain methods for hiding their donors or hiding other financial information, they continue to develop more. We're seeing with online ads especially present new challenges to groups that can exist online, reach millions of people, and have no paper trail whatsoever. That opens the door to even less disclosure and more influence. Hear me say this. This cause is more important today than it's ever been. And it is possible to build bipartisan consensus in Congress on these transparency issues. It's really just a matter of bringing the right people to the table. And that's the work that we do every day at Issue 1. In the next episode, we sit down with one of the biggest names in Republican politics and go through his David vs. Goliath story of how he beat what is often a rigged system where Washington protects its own. Thanks for listening to Swamp Stories, presented by Issue One, the country's leading political reform organization that unites Republicans, Democrats, and independents to fix our broken political system. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. Even better, rate and review it on iTunes to help us reach more listeners. You can find out more at swampstories.org. I'm your host, Weston Womp. Thank you to executive producer Ethan Rome, producer William Gray, and editor Parker Tant from parkerpodcasting.com. Swamp Stories was recorded in Tennessee, edited in Texas, and can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. 